Happy Halloween from the Money Guy Show. Five financially scary decisions that will make you go broke. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Yeah, Brian, that's, we thought about, okay, what's a better... Uh, what is a better topic to have for a Halloween episode when everyone gets dressed up in their scariest, most horror-inducing outfits to really uh, terrify folks, right? That's obviously the route that me and you, you and I went. What are some of the scary financial decisions that people make that can actually make them go broke? Well, I get excited. All these special episodes where whether I'm dressed up as Batman and Bo as the Boy Wonder Robin, or if we get to do Woody and Buzz Lightyear. I love this stuff. And by the way, I do plan on the Abound team has the option to actually dress up on Halloween. I will be in this next Thursday, just to give you a clue, just in case you want to set the table that you also want to show up as Buzz Lightyear. See, we actually have a brand new employee, and here's my plan. I wasn't going to tell you this. We were going to let him know that everyone dresses up for Halloween, and that was going to be like our little initiation. Except that I really am. Except that he <laughs> and Boss Brian are actually going to show up. So this is a special episode. We are going to go through these five scary decisions that will make you go broke. But the thing I want to do is that since these things are special episodes, and there's also, I can't believe, the outpouring of support and curiosity we've gotten about our growing employee, which started as intern Daniel... Now he's full-time equivalent Daniel. And the thing is, is that everybody's like, what does Daniel look like? Y'all are doing this weird thing where we never get to see Daniel. So we were like, okay, let's do this. Let's do a Halloween photo of the entire content team. So we put this together and we stayed in theme so everybody could actually see what Daniel looked like. So without further ado, this right here is the Money Guy (laughs) content team in full garb for Halloween. So you can see Reby on the left, and of course, Daniel's right in the middle. Daniel's we want right to make sure he's prominent us. for you guys, but Daniel's hanging out, creating. We let him take a few seconds from great content creation. I know it's still kind of cruel. Here's it? those things so funny. You know, we played in a uh, charity golf tournament a little bit early, earlier uh, this week, and we put some pictures out on Facebook. If you haven't gone out to the Money Guy Facebook, go check that out. You can see us, you know, swinging a golf club. And everyone's like, oh, which one's Daniel? Which one's Daniel? I feel like he's like, he's kind of becoming like sort of like a personality himself, which is pretty impressive because he's not even on air. <laughs> it's a really remarkable feat that Daniel's it's awesome. done. So, okay, let's jump into these because we got to, I mean, this is back in the days when I first started the show, I could not worry about playing music and then say getting sued. We're right. now big enough that you can't play music, which takes out a lot of the fun, but we would totally be playing Eastbound and Down if we were doing this show like in 2006, because we have a lot to cover in a short time to get there. Yep. So let's, let's hit this thing. Number one is not paying attention to your portfolio design. And you're like, well, how's that scary? Is This is scary because this is what you're going to use. Everything we're going to talk about is how you're going to protect yourself from the next market downturn. Yeah, we keep hearing all the time, folks are saying, you know, market's done really, really well since the Great Recession. So the next downturn's coming. Now, people yep. have been saying that since the Great Recession. And eventually there will be... No, I said since the Great Recession, Siri, the... the the next downturn is going to come at some point, and it's a matter of how am I going to protect myself from that? If it's inevitable that it's going to come, how am I going to protect myself from the next stock market downturn? Well, by the way, everything is silenced here. If you're ever worried the machines are taking over the world, proof. 
But well, let's keep on because that's a scary thing as as well. But I, I do want to keep it on point. I, I think one of the things, and I hope this ties in because I got totally thrown by this. Yeah, I knew you were listening to me. But awesome. it, is, it is one of those things where when I think about scary decisions, when I think about protecting yourself, downturns like you're talking yep. about, the best thing is to get it right on the front end. Absolutely. And, and here's where we're going with this, guys, is I want you to think about this. All the big, scary financial ripoffs have a root cause that makes people vulnerable to getting ripped off. And let's go through some of the case study here. Pawn shop. Yep. Why would anybody ever want to sell their bicycle, power tools, or you know, even the car title unless they are broken yep. and in desperate needs? Payday loans. Uh, hey, I'm going to go borrow against money I don't even have yet. I'm going to go try and to remember, get remember, this is where he sent Daniel undercover to make some phone calls. The interest rate is so punitive, you will never get out of that right. hole. That is scary, scary. Rent to own. Mm-hmm. I have visions when I see here about rent to own. I think about people, uh, and this is probably not the people that are renting, but I have a vision that somebody's got like the family of their girlfriend coming over to their first apartment. They're freaking out. It's like, this is all like sitcom right, right, comedy right. stuff, but you're in a different, difficult situation. So you go to a rent own place and you pay three times what it actually should cost. And then of course, credit cards. This is everyday people usually are struggling with credit cards. And we even have some some data points to prove this. Yeah, we think that all of these things are a real easy sign that there was a big step that was missed. There was a big step early on that was missed that if you were to take that step, it would protect you. And you wouldn't have to worry about going to the pawn shop, having the payday loan, renting to own, or even racking up credit card debt. No doubt. So, Bo, how many people actually have liquid resources because that's what's going to protect that's you. That's the step. If you that's can exactly prepare right. and have money, you will be protecting yourself from these vulnerability issues that allow you to get ripped off and make bad, scary decisions. And so according to a study that was done by Yahoo Finance earlier in May of 2019, only fi- or 58% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. It's truly So incredible. 58% of folks can't come up with the next medical bill, the HVAC going out, the car getting an accident, whatever the case may be, they have less than $1,000. So there are tons of folks out there that are missing step number one, having money for emergencies. Well, and, and then that that goes with the next thing, three to six months of cash reserves. Mm-hmm. This is why this is so powerful is you have to have the three to six months because that's what's going to help you if you lose your job, if you have something break in your house, if you have some big medical expense. Having three to six months of cash reserves is going to give you that flexibility, that margin, that cushion that will get you to the other side yep. of it. And, and here's the other thing. People, I had this discussion just yesterday. Bad stuff doesn't happen as a one-off. Nope. It's not one of those things like you lose your job. That's okay because you know the market's doing so well and the stock market's doing well. Your house is appreciating. Portfolio, so you can up. your portfolio is going up. So usually you can just weather losing your job. Usually what happens is the financial markets and the economy in general will go down. Revenue comes down for most companies. Revenue goes down. They start panicking, going, how are we going to cover payroll? So they start laying people off. You will see bad stuff handles happens in bundles. That's right. Just like your cable company bundles stuff, so does bad news. It gets bundled. So you typically, things will happen together. You'll lose your job. 
Your house will go down in its value. Your stock market, your stock holdings will go down. You need to prepare ahead so you're not reacting later. And that's the reason that we even recommend having three to six months of emergencies. If if it were much more easier, say, okay, we'll have just enough to cover only your health insurance deductible or have just enough to cover only your next month's rent payment or whatever the case may be. Because these bag things can bundle, that's the reason why you have to be able to cover three to six months of your living needs in cash, liquid reserves. So cash reserves is the first part of this. But the second part is, is get the risk, get the planning right on the front end. Absolutely. What do we mean by that, Bo? Yeah, We get questions all the time from folks who are thinking about hiring us, but they're going into retirement and they're worried about the next stock market downturn. Yeah. And the question is asked, well, hey, if we see some softness, if we see the market start to pull back, we start to see a downturn, what are you guys going to do to protect me from that? And our answer is always the same. If we wait until the downturn to have that conversation, we've already done something wrong. We think that it makes sense to get the risk right on the front end before something bad happens, because we want to know what you can weather before you're actually put to the test. So we think having a portfolio allocation that actually matches your specific risk tolerance, risk capacity, time horizon goals, makes sense on the front end, not after the bad stuff, the scary stuff has started happening. Don't react. That's the biggest thing is if you're reacting, you're on defense. It's just like my old high school basketball coach said, we attack around here. So if you're going if you're attacking, you're actually going on offense. Get the plan right on the front end. If you're reacting, you're probably doing triage. You're just trying to probably keep the wheels yep. from falling off. Not the right way to do it. And that leads to the third thing. Have a financial mutant mentality. Yeah, we talk about all the time. One of the unique things that's so special about the Money Guy audience is that you guys think about money and finances differently. And it's that different sort of wiring that allows you to look at downturns or scary situations or undesirable circumstances as actually positives, things that you can use to jumpstart and really set your financial situation on fire. We even have a slide. You know, one of the things I think when people have downturns, they assume, and I say this, I made a post uh, that volatility is your unlikely friend in your path towards financial independence and success. And people are like, what are you talking about? And I try to tell everybody who's in their 20s, everybody's in their 30s, everybody's in their 40s, if you have greater than five years before you retire, you should be hoping for a market downturn. I know that is so against what you intuitively think Mm -hmm. you know about financially investing in the market, but we have a data proof point that we had Daniel kind of structure for. So, Bo, walk them through this. So, we know that the uh, Great Recession was really bad, but if you remember, there was this little thing a number of years before the Great Recession called the Great Depression. And often people look at that as the single absolute worst time to be an investor, specifically a stock market investor. And there's some truth in that if you're doing it the wrong way. So look at this illustration that Daniel put together. If you look at this, the Dow Jones closed at $381 per share on September the 3rd of 1929. Yep. And then it closed at $383 a share, so just $2 higher on November the 23rd of 1954. That's a, 25 years. That's a $2 increase in 25 years. So you would naturally say, oh, <laughs> this investing thing is for the birds. I literally... Yeah. Put my money in now, 25 years later, it's worth $2 more than it was when I started. Well, that's if you did it the wrong way. If instead you were someone who got the risk right in the front and you knew, I'm just going to dollar cost average. I'm going to put $10,000 into the Dow Jones every year starting in September 1st of 1929 all the way until November 1st of 1954. Uh, That investment on November 1st of 1954 was 
$25,000. So you put money in for 25 years, beginning of the first year, and then 25 years as well in the future. So you've got $260,000 over that 25-year period. So we did assume dividends were reinvested. Keep it rolling. Give them the big... Because remember, this is a a market that made Mm $2 in 25 years. How much could a person expect to make by using this dollar cost averaging? At the end of this 25-year period, that $260,000 systematic investment compounded to a million and a half dollars or an 11.7% annualized return. Talking about turning a frown upside down, turning lemons into lemonade... This is the way you do it, guys. So if you're young, like I said, if you're greater than five years from retirement, cheer for volatility. It's actually your friend. It is going to be the thing that helps you be that financial mutant and just put the money to work, put the plan, and just make it automatic for the people, and you will be successful. And I want you to think about because, look, we, we certainly don't pretend to be able to predict markets, and we think that's a futile exercise, but there will be a downturn. We sure. just know that it will. If you're someone in the accumulation phase and there is that next downturn, I just want you to think about this slide. And all the exactly. people that were running for the hills during the Great Depression, if you can have that mute mentality to actually be more aggressive, get your dollars more out there to work, you will be so happy that you did. So let's transition now to number two, letting debt ruin your life. And what we're talking about here, this is all the different ways, I get it, we live in a very consumer society. There is entire industries set up to tell you how you should be spending your money. It's okay if you can't afford it today, no worries. We can put it off for a few years. You can do this with your education. You can do this with your vehicles. You can do this with your houses. You can do it with your lifestyle. So how do you protect yourself? Because why should you have to wait? If you want something now, you should get it now. Why on earth would you wait to have it later? That's the whole consumer mindset that we're in now. So let's talk about this. Let's, we've got a little bit to cover here on taking on debt over the years and how you're going to pay yourself back and be okay through this. The first one I put on here is credit cards. Credit cards, we've done so many shows talking about this. And it's one of those things, when I think about credit cards, I, and maybe I have a cynical view on this. I think a lot of things, and this is something you can use as a money guy tool to make sure you're doing things right. I think about a closet full of junk that I'm going to have to go clean my closet out every few years, drive it to my favorite charity or church. And it's just, and these are things that I probably, you know, that could have had a better use. Now, look, I'm not saying go be a miser and not to spend your money, but I will tell you that a lot of credit card spending is worthless if you look at what the money was actually spent on. And that's something, and here's the thing about credit card debt. Credit cards are just, they're not something you should use unless you can pay it off every month. It is just no-go land unless you can be completely debt-free of paying it off monthly. They are a convenience because of you like the 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 price protection, you like the extended warranty, you like the convenience, but it's not one of those things that's going to skew your behavior to making bad financial decisions. You said it perfectly, Brian. You said that credit card debt should be a no-go. Pay it off in full. And the reason that you want to pay it off in full is because it does have those punitive interest rates. So allowing your credit card debt to get out of whack, that's one of the three types of debt that can ruin your life. So let's talk about auto debt. This is one, oh my goodness. I mean, I get it. Cars, let's face it, in high school, the right car can probably make you a little bit cooler. Uh I don't know if that translates completely into adulthood, but it definitely works in high school. But I think a lot of us, we're still living our adult life thinking about high school years. So we use that logic to get ourselves into a lot of financial trouble. And and, And here's the thing. 
I am so depressed every year, every year when they release the data points on debt, especially automobile debt. I'm like, we're going backwards. Yep. What is wrong with society that you don't understand that cars lose over the first year to two years? They lose 30 to 40% of their value like that. I mean, it is one of those things, as soon as you drive off the lot with your new car, it's a losing proposition. Yep. It's depreciating. It's, it's hard to even call this thing an asset right. because it is going so fast. But, Bo, let's walk them through. What have we figured out about what people are doing with car debt? Yeah, so we think that you ought to think about how much car you can afford. And this is what I think is so interesting about automobiles. It's like credit cards. We think about folks who get themselves into credit card mm -hmm. debt, and they generally uh, – you say, oh, well, they just have a behavioral problem, right? They can't control it. What we think is so interesting about automobiles is automobiles are one of those real easy areas to get yourself in trouble, even for good financial decision makers. Sure, sure. So we think one of the ways that you can start protecting yourself is thinking through, okay, how much car should I actually buy? How much yeah. car can I actually afford? Because ultimately, you don't want to buy more car than you can afford because that's, that's yeah. exactly how you end up getting yourself underwater. So uh, we actually did an exercise, and we looked at uh, the medium household income in the United States, right? Yeah, it's a little over $52,000 A little over 52000 And we have a, um, I don't want to say it's a rule of thumb, because it's not really a rule of thumb, but we think there's a It's way definitely a money guy tool, is that you want to do 23 right. 23-8. 20% down, you don't want to finance for any more than three years, and you don't want your auto payment to cost more than 8% of your monthly household income. So if you think about that, the medium household income is $52,000. we are going to walk through how much you can afford. The average automobile that the medium household can afford is $15,625. We just did the math, basically. Figured out the amortization on three years, putting down 20%, and with the annual median income of around $52,000, yep. it works out that most people should be buying a car that's around $16,000 a year, or financing a car. You know, or that's actually, that's actually with us putting it down. So that is a far cry, because go ahead and roll it on out. What is the average person doing? They're buying a car. They're, they're taking a car that is $32,000. And here's a data point that Daniel found for us. 69 months is the average car loan. Mm -hmm. Guys, that is getting very close to six years. And I'm surprised. I know when I was doing research for my Tesla, you can do a 72-year loan all day on some of these higher priced it, cars. And that is disgusting. I'm trying to, I'm even trying to think through like a lot of, a lot of my friends I know, they don't even drive cars for 72 months. No. Like they don't even own the car for that long. So why on earth would you, a depreciating asset have a loan in there that's going to be even longer than the use you get out of it? Well, this is debt that is definitely going to sidetrack your personal finances. And here's the other thing I want people to think about, and you need to understand Wow. How does the money flow on cars? Because this is something, a development we also discovered in our research, is that if you think about cars, we know that they not only make dealerships make money on the car they sell, but also on the financing. Yep. So let's look at the first thing. Let's look at how much do dealerships make profit on each car that's out there that's sold. Perfect. So <laughs> the first thing, look at this. 2009, close to $1,000 per vehicle is made off of the That's car. That's the profit they make just on selling the car, the markup that they get, right? But we're starting to feel sorry for the dealerships because we're looking, we're going, man, it's getting too easy for people to buy cars. It must be technology, the yeah, internet, you know car, what cars cost. Kind of so now they only make $381. Poor dealerships. Show them the rest of the story, Bo. It, what, what, hey, what's the famous thing the guy used to always say? What was the... Uh, uh, it was okay. the rest of the story. You know what I mean? The radio broadcaster? That's Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. What was the thing that he it's said? It's the rest of the story. Oh. I said it. I thought it was pithier than that. <laughs> oh, 
let's look at the rest of the story. He had a cooler accent, but keep going. But look at, I mean, that's awesome. What I think is amazing, the average profit on vehicles is around $1,353 per vehicle, right? In in 2009, so 10 years ago, 516 of that came from the financing. The majority came from the actual car purchase. This was, remember the anecdotal rule of thumb, everybody was like, go in there with cash. You go get the best that, deal possible. Show up, and that's how you can really, really negotiate them down. Now, look at what's going on right now. You show up with cash, that dealership's going to look at you and be like, dude, you just took all my profit. Because now they make $982 from the financing and only $381 from the car. You can quickly see how dealerships are more bank than they are somebody selling you a vehicle. Exactly right. So you need, if you can understand that, you can manipulate it or use that situation, that data point, to at least make better decisions. And so one of the things we've said, and you just kind of alluded to this, we've actually changed the guidance that we give to someone who's purchasing an automobile, is maybe you want to hold in your back pocket whether you're going to be paying cash or whether you're going to be financing, because it can affect how the negotiation of the, of the auto buying process goes. Now, I want to speed through this next one because it's one of those things that we give guidance on student loan debt. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this, but if you pull this slide up on student loan guidance, yep. it is one of those things we have people all the time. I was shocked when I found out that the average student loan debt now that's coming out for people coming out of college and these loans are starting to where you have to pay and they're generating interest, it's over 6%. That's right. That blew my mind. So you're probably trying to figure out, do I invest? Do I pay down debt? We did a whole analysis when understanding what risk-free rate of return is. Mm -hmm. We based it off of the treasury, what the spread is on what you could expect to make versus what you're paying in in student loan interest. And this is what we came up with. So walk them through kind of what what this is showing. Yeah, very basically, in its its simplest sense, if you're in your 20s and your student loan interest is greater than 6%, you should probably think about prioritizing paying it off. If you're in your 30s and your student loan interest is greater than 5%, you should probably Mm -hmm. prioritize paying it off. If you're in your 40s, that number goes to 4%. And then by the time you get into your 50s and 60s, you should really think about not having any student loan debt because college was is likely a while ago. And here's one of those things. If you have, if you're a high school student or you're the parents of somebody who's in high school, that's me, I resemble that, is that you also want to base understand don't take student loan debt Unless you don't want your student loan debt to exceed what the anticipated first year salary is. Now, I know a lot of you are like, where were you six years ago? We understand that. So that's why we created this slide. But please understand, education is very damaging if you're not, if you're going out there and running up too much debt. It really does turn into a zombie debt situation Mm -hmm. where you don't really own your life. You're you're just trying to get the debt paid off. That's exactly right. So let's move on to number three. This is one I've had personal experience with. This is what dealing with executives and other people who are very optimistic on their employer. Yep. You can investing all in one place can be devastating to your financial life. You know, one that breaks my heart about this, Brian, is we see this in two forms. We see in one form people who do it on purpose. They yep. actually try to do this. And then the other one is people don't even realize they are in this situation where they are way overly concentrated to a single company and they had no idea about it. I get a visual because this is, we, 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 we went and saw a speaker this morning, mm-hmm. and he was visualizing how things started. Like, he talked about the tortoise and the hare. You can say who it was, but I think. It was Malcolm Gladwell. We went so we got Malcolm to go Gladwell see Malcolm Gladwell speak this morning. He's got a new book. Yep. Makes me want to go out there and immediately start listening to it. But it does, now that he's got me visualizing all these anecdotal things we say, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, can you imagine 
somebody is walking down the street with a basket full of eggs. They trip over and they fall. Egg yolks are everywhere. And after the laughter stops, somebody goes, you shouldn't keep all your eggs in one basket. You just know that there is a visual of that happening, that that, that happened sometime in history, that that became that a that's saying. that's where it came from. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, guys, it is the same way with your personal capital, meaning what you can go make your wages on, and then your investment capital, which is hopefully what's going to create financial independence for you, is that you do not need to have them both lined up at the exact same place. That is a recipe for absolute disaster. Brian, you already mentioned mentioned this. You said that when bad things happen, they tend to be bundled, right? Yep. They tend to happen all at once. So just imagine yourself in that scenario where uh, not only is the economy going down and your company specifically is getting hurt because of that, but in addition to that, the value of your RSUs are going down, the value of your options are going down, maybe the value of the stock you hold inside your company 401k is going down. All those things are happening. And then at the world's worst time, your company has to start making layoffs. Yeah. You are in a just very dire position that could have been avoided or at least diversified against to an extent. Well, and we had some stats because, mm-hmm. you know, we're nerdy enough. We had Daniel go pull it. Enron employees lost $850 million when the stock market crashed. WorldCom, their 401k went down $775 million because what the problem was is that the employees had half of their retirement accounts in these companies' stocks. Right. So not only did they lose their livelihood when they lost their jobs from these companies going under, but they lost their financial assets as well. That is an absolute disaster, so be very careful of that. When we talk about the journey to financial independence and building wealth and building wealth and building wealth, we always focus on the early stages of like what you do, what you do, what you do, what you do. As you begin to have some success and get closer and closer to financial independence, it becomes a lot more about not screwing it up. And what I think is so crazy about the WorldCom and Enron examples is there are a lot of very wealthy, very successful, I would argue financially independent folks who just didn't take the care to not screw it up. Yeah, I mean, and this it doesn't have to just all be working for a big public company too. I talk to my real estate developers, my builders, my home builders, entrepreneurs. I'm like, you are doing so well, you're so successful. Please diversify. Spread out where your capital is housed so that you're not putting everything in that one basket. Now forever you'll have that visual of the poor person falling over, crowd laughing, and then the guy out there going, shouldn't have all your eggs in one (laughs) basket. I mean, it really is something to think about. So number four, not covering all of your risk. Oh, that's Who? Did did you approve? Did you approve that? Are you talking about the picture that Daniel put in there? terrifying, (laughs) Daniel. You what you looked at me, I was like, oh my gosh, is there a big error on this thing? No, it's <laughs> no, just you it's don't just like the bitch. By the way, I, here's my only question when I saw the slide deck. Is 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 that in the free list? Because I saw that and I was like, I'm gonna make sure we didn't have any copyright. And they're like, no, we got it from the right software. So we'll keep rolling. I'm not, with I'm, not it. I'm not a horror movie guy. Are you you're a horror movie no, guy? I, yeah, I don't after, watch horror. Okay, here's the thing. I started riding roller coasters in high school because of peer pressure and I didn't want the girls to think I was chicken. <laughs> That stuck, and I still love roller coasters. I also started watching horror movies in high school. Okay. But as soon as I got married, I quit putting that junk in my head. Yeah. It's I'll- just, I like a revenge movie, but I do not like horror or gore movies because it just, you can't get that stuff out. I- I'm the same way, man. I watched one scary movie, the last scary movie I ever watched, and I watched it in college, and I told the team about it, and I go, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm like, no, I don't need that. Yeah. I don't need to know if somebody's about to burst through my window. Uh, that part was for free. It has nothing to do with finance. But, but Daniel, shame on you for putting 
such <laughs> so, a terrifying. So let's talk right about there. bulletproofing your financial life because that's what people need to know is how do you cover your risk on the front end? I thought this was surprising, Bo. Mm-hmm. Only thirty-two percent of Americans have any life insurance. Yeah, and. Again, I think that's really surprising because 100% of Americans are going to pass away. Well, I think it's 100% of Americans typically have a relative that's trying to sell them life insurance. <laughs> so how in the world do you only 32% of you have life insurance when I know you have a neighbor, a relative, a brother-in-law, somebody is trying to sell you probably whole life insurance I'm shocked by that stat. I really am. And I think one of the things that's so bad is, is you just mentioned, there's a, there's a salesman that really complicate it, make it expensive. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. Getting life insurance in yeah. place is not a credibly expensive endeavor, but it's something that I would argue almost everyone, if you have someone that depends on you for income or resource or whatever, yeah. then you'd need it. And it's one of those things, if you can take care of it early on in your working career while you're still young and healthy, it is really, really inexpensive to have in place for your entire working career, if you take those steps early. So here's some guidance. If you're obviously, if you're a person, you, you, you've got a young family, you've got some debt because you have a mortgage, maybe you have some student loans or something. If, the, if somebody is counting on your income, meaning you have to go to work, wake up, go to work to cover all the things, the obligations of your life, you probably need some term life insurance. Yep. And you're trying to figure out, do I need 10-year term, 15-year ter- term, 20-year term, or even 30-year term? Look at how young your children are. Look at when your anticipated financial independence date is. There is a solution there, guys, and it's just not that expensive. So look at 10 times your income plus some of the debts. That's a great rule of thumb. And, you know, one of the things we tell folks is as you age, your insurance needs change. So just because you got insurance when you were 22, you might want to recheck it at 30 to see how your coverage is because you may be amazed you can increase your coverage again at very minimal cost to do so. Bo, the next one I wanted to talk about was – you, you actually have a background in insurance. Mm-hmm. You did that in college. Everybody knows about, well, most people, as we know, 32% <laughs> know about life insurance. But what's the actual bigger risk that a lot of us have? Now, look, we all die. But I'm talking about financial risk that people need to take into account. Yeah, one thing that just gets overlooked so often, even when we review potential clients looking to work with us, one of the things that we often see is underinsured is disability insurance. What happens if you find yourself in a situation where you're not taken off this planet, but you can't exactly show up to work every day for some reason? And the statistics on this I thought were absolutely alarming. Uh, More than one in four Americans can expect to be out of work for at least a year due to disability in their lifetime. I mean, one in four, I think about that picture of the Money Guy team. Statistically, one of the four of us at some point might have a disability issue. We can't work for a year or greater. That should really be terrifying. So considering that, you know, 25% of folks that will happen to, only 12.5% of people actually have disability insurance in place. It's just wild. So, I mean, make sure you understand that. We also, we've done shows on this. Go look it up. But it's another thing that scares the heck out of me during this Halloween episode. Umbrella insurance. Oh, yeah. If you're worried about getting sued, if you're worried. I mean, I've seen situations where I've had clients who've had their kids do something silly Mm -hmm. and they've had their umbrella coverage step in and protect them. Think about it. It sits on top of an umbrella, just like the visual names, you know, sounds like. sits on top of your homeowner's insurance. sits on top of your automobile insurance and just protects you from additional liability. So you really, and it's dirt cheap. Go get at least your net worth or a million dollars to your net worth and you can get it for a few hundred bucks. So consider that. And then, Bo, talk about 
crazy insurance. Yeah, so again, we just said, you know, insurance, there's a high likelihood you need life insurance, a high likelihood you need disability insurance. We already mentioned there are a gazillion insurance salesmen mm-hmm. out there in insurance companies. And so there are a lot of, there are a lot of types of insurance yeah. that you may not need. So we just thought we'd kind of list them out. What types of insurance might you need and what types of insurance might you not need? Let me, let me say one quick thing that just hit me. This was not in show prep. I remember a few years ago, they I had a problem. Well, no, they, they, had a, they had a problem where they realized that a lot of your best and brightest from like MIT and other things, we always hear the term, you know, are you a rocket scientist? You know, we always right. think that they had a problem. Now, I don't know if this is still a problem, but I read way too much and I, I'm getting old enough that time gets away from how long time has spanned since sure. I read the article. More people were coming out of like MIT and other engineering and as well as science backgrounds. But instead of developing the greatest technology that's going to take us to Mars, mm-hmm. a lot of them were now working for insurance companies yeah. designing financial products that they can go and market and sell. That's Isn't exactly America right. great? But that's, it, exactly that's right. I felt like that was a it was perfect. We didn't talk about it in show prep, but it just hit me while we we're doing the show. Now that shows because there's a lot of creative people are very smart people that are working out there in the insurance industry. So show them what they came up with. So here's what we just thought we'd throw out there. Here's what you may need. Life insurance if you have dependents, uh, disability or long-term care insurance. We've done shows on that. You can go out to the Money Guy website and just search either one of those terms and find uh, our information on that. Uh, Homeowners, renter's insurance, you definitely probably need that. Auto insurance, uh, you want to have that. Uh, Umbrella insurance, I talked about health insurance, you want to have. And then flood insurance if you live close to water. You want to make sure, again, that's sort of an extension of homeowners. You want to make sure you're protecting your assets. So we said, okay, well, that's the stuff that you do need. What are some of the things that maybe you don't need? Or somebody designed to try to sell to you or scare the heck out of you for Halloween that you maybe... They want you to consider buying. Number one, uh, pet insurance. When you actually look (laughs) at the cost of pet insurance relative to the cost of having your pet cared for medically, the cost-benefit analysis may not make sense. Uh, Specific disease insurance, like heart disease or cancer, those sorts of things, if you just have the other types of insurance, a lot of times you cover that. Uh, Dismemberment. Again, it's perfect for the Halloween on the saw episode. Theme. That's what. It's that's perfect what it for the from. Halloween episode. Uh, flight insurance. You know, I think another a great one of flight insurance. You know, uh, I know we fly Southwest all the time. If you end up needing like a flight, a canceling a flight, you just put it back in the bank and you can use it right back. And yeah. I think most airlines do that. Uh, credit card insurance. Do you have some thoughts on credit card well, insurance? Well, here's the thing: when when this got put on there in our show prep meeting. I was like, credit card insurance? What is credit card insurance? And then I was like, I need to know, is this something, is this like an urban legend? People aren't really getting ripped off by credit card insurance because credit cards, we all know if your credit card gets stolen, they, the, it's supposedly they can charge you 50 bucks, mm-hmm. but I have yet to see a credit they card company that actually, they never charge you that 50 bucks. So what in the world? So Daniel did a little digging. We found out this is a $2 billion a year revenue source for the credit card companies with a b and all it does is is that if you were if you died the balance will be paid off we got dirty little secret you die and you're a single person with credit card debt or credit cards only in your name good chance go get written off anyway so that's not even that insurance isn't worth much and then it pays your minimum payments if you lose your job oh how generous they you know they're gonna pay your minimum payments while you're (laughs) unemployed this is a horrible deal, yep. and a lot of people will say that they don't even remember signing up for it. It is not a good proposition to have credit card insurance. Remember, credit cards, you're supposed to pay them off every month. If you can't pay them off every month, 
you don't get to go there. It's no-go land. So you should definitely don't need credit card insurance to make those payments. There was a little bit of debate here in the office about whether this was a necessary type of insurance, short-term disability insurance. Yeah. And this was a stance that I took. I think that if you have adequate emergency reserves and you cover three to six months of expenses, most long-term disability plans will kick in after 90 to 180 days. So you're kind of covered there. Now, obviously there are some exceptions. If you have highly subsidized employer-sponsored short-term disability, or maybe you're gonna enter into like some sort of maternity type situation in the near future where that's the type of insurance you need, it makes sense. But if you think about it and what that need is actually there for, it may not be something you need. We're not telling you, don't, don't mishear us and say that you need to go buy everything on the may need side. You need to get rid of everything on the may not need side. But if you don't have something on the may need side, you should probably assess that. And if you do have something on the may not need side, you may just need to think through, why am I paying for this? Just measure twice, cut once. That's right. Very good information here. That brings me to our last scary financial decision that you need to understand is number five, failing to plan for the future. This one might be the scariest. Well, I, it may, every time I hear this, what is the saying? You love to say it. What, come on, it's right there in the show notes. Failing, I just want to hear you to say it. Failing to plan is planning to fail. I can hear my mom saying that. Man, that's that like an right fortune now. cookie. It is. I mean, an it is something cookie. spectacular there. And it really is one of those things where the difference between a goal and a dream is goals are written down, that's guys. Exactly right. You're not, you do not, you can sit here and think, I want to start a company. I want to be financially independent by the time I'm 50 years of age. But all it is, is it's no different between buying a lottery ticket and daydreaming mm -hmm. if you're not putting those goals pen to paper or at least a spreadsheet or something on your phone, a notes on, note on your phone, and then trying to figure out how you get from point A to point B and what are the little steps that will help you walk into that decision. And, uh, you know, here's just the fact of the matter that as I've gotten older, I've sort of recognized this. Life just gets busy, right? You know, we end up, we, you know, have jobs that get busy and family that gets busy and community that gets busy. And it's really easy to just get lost in the busyness of every day without ever thinking, hey, there's something I want to plan for in the future. There's something I want to happen in the future. And Brian, you say this all the time. One of the biggest reasons why you see uh, folks, both older and younger than you, who go through like a midlife crisis type right. event, is because they find themselves in a situation where they're just letting life happen. And I'd argue, if you're someone yeah. who's just letting life happen, you're living in a place where you haven't correctly and appropriately planned for what you really want your future to be. It is no doubt. And I, and I think it's, you know, I think it's so fitting. We live here in the Nashville area mm -hmm. and we know our neighbor, right? I mean, he's right down the street. Dave Ramsey has the baby steps. Mm -hmm. This is the stuff that's going to keep you out of getting in debt right. issues, ba what I consider basic fundamentals of financial life. But even after you get the baby steps, there's one day you're going to need to stand up and start walking like a grown-up. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes beyond just the baby steps. I think there's also, you need to know what your net worth is. Absolutely. You need to have the exercise yep. and the habit of creating an annual net worth. You need to know, write down your goals. You need to have automatic savings plans. You need to know how much is going to all the different buckets. You know, And this is not just a budget. Budget's kind of part of baby steps. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a cash management management right. plan where you know 20 to 25% of your money is going towards the future. You know how much money is going to your favorite charities. You know how much money is going to the 529s. And there's just not a stone that's left unturned on you 
just conquering your financial life. Absolutely. Uh, so we think that there are five scary decisions that can make you go broke. I'm just going to run through them real yeah. quick. Number one, not paying attention to your portfolio design, how you have it structured. Number two, letting debt ruin your life. Number three, investing all in one place. Putting all, all I can think about is somebody dropping all the eggs well, It's, it's going to be a great visualization learning tool. Number four, not covering all your risks. And number five, planning to fail or that's actually failing to plan. So all those things, I know, I love it. Hopefully you weren't too distracted by our costumes. I would encourage you if you're listening to our podcast, guys, go to YouTube, check out Buzz and Woody. You gotta see what we look like. I mean, cause it's great. And then at the beginning of the show, remember we even shared the entire content team, including Daniel, Insert so y'all can Daniel. see what he looks like. But it, it is, when we got some big developments. Y'all probably notice blog is getting published. It's getting written. You guys are loving it. Thank you for checking that out. There's also give us your email address because guess what's going on right now too? We have a brand new resource page. Guys, if you love some of the deliverables that we're putting up on the slide deck or you're a podcast listener, you're going, I'd love to see that slide that they reference. More than likely, it's probably on our resource page. Guys, and guess what it costs? Absolutely nothing. You are making a huge financial mistake if you're not going to moneyguy.com getting some of these free resources guys i tell you what they're worth the price of admission and i think it's going to be one of those things i want you to go share them with your friends your family because part of this abundance cycle is we give you all this free advice we want you to come learn apply grow you're going to reach a point in your financial life you're going to go oh my goodness i can't believe how much success has been built up this is too big for me to do on my own and that's when you're going to reach out to Brian and Bo, the Abound team, yep. because we're going to have you covered. It's funny, Bo, we went to see that Malcolm Gladwell speech this morning. Yep. I thought it was interesting. You're part of an entrepreneur organization. One of the guys that's in your cohort that you, you, you know, share details and talk about, he spent his entire time talking about all the things you've helped him out with his business that he considers himself a success, successful, smart guy. But he didn't realize there was a whole nother bonus level getting information from you. He says, I have more than paid for my annual membership to this entrepreneur organization by the advice that you're sharing just in your your meetings. Guys, it's the same way with our clients. I think every time we get to share the information that we love sharing, you can see the excitement. There's a reason we're willing to be goofy and dress (laughs) up like this. Hey, there's there's a costume idea right there. Goofy. You're Mickey, or maybe I'm Mickey. Uh, I'm you're Mickey. No, y'all heard it first here. He said I get to be Mickey. <laughs> I do. You love, all heard I do it first. A great goofy imper- impersonation. <laughs> so that's probably why I said that. I slipped up a little bit. But guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. Dress up, be safe, have a great Halloween of 2019, and we thank you tremendously from the Money Guy team. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 